Rosas. I'll leave it with another episode, the Way to College podcast. And, you know, I think one of the surprising things about the podcast is when I created it, I saw it as an opportunity to connect with people I went to school with, people I worked with, uh, people within my network. I never anticipated who it would connect me with, who it would allow me to, to speak to, and and, and um, whose stories I would get to hear. And so, you know, today today's guest is one of those, um, is a guest that I, I never anticipated interviewing or having on the podcast. I didn't know them prior to, you know, I, I think a, a couple of weeks ago um, that another friend connected us. And so I'm excited to hear hear her story. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to let them introduce themselves to our listeners out there. So Margarita, would you mind introducing yourself to our listeners? Of course. Thank you so much for inviting me um, and for this opportunity to share this story. My name is Margarita Guzman. I was born and raised in El Paso, Texas. I lived in Washington, D.C. for seven years and in New York City for the last 21 years. Um, So I think I've earned the New Yorker title, though some New Yorkers might have something to say about that. (laughs) <laughs> I, I I love that. I love that. Um, Margarita, I thank you for, for joining me. Um, you know, I start every, every interview with the same question. And that question is, if you had to identify a starting point for your educational journey, where would that starting point be for you? Um, that's such a great question. And I think back to some of my earliest memories, which were read-along books and getting into reading at a really early age. Um, But to have a really honest answer to the question, I think I have to share something a little personal, so that's okay. Um, And it's that when I was 11 or maybe early in 12, um, 11 or 12 years old, right around there, my father was arrested for a crime that he didn't commit. And we spent some time, our family, both involved in the criminal legal system. He was ultimately, the charges were ultimately dropped because they were pretty trumped up charges. He was kind of like the wrong Mexican in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, And eventually the prosecutors had to drop the charges because they didn't have a case. But in that one year that it took for that to happen, Um, We lost everything, right? We lost our home to pay for the lawyers. We, my dad lost his job. My mom lost her job. They were in the PTA. They were no longer in the PTA. We lost a lot of our friends. Um, Our family had a difficult time, you know, managing it with us. So there was so much, it was marked by a tremendous amount of loss. And in that process, there was one person that I really both admired in addition to my parents and their fortitude and the way that they manage this, you know, for themselves and for us, there was one person who really stood out as something of a hero for me. And that was my dad's criminal defense attorney. So it was a no nonsense man, right? Not any kind of bedside manner. <laughs> he was direct and to the point and sometimes it hurt. Um, but what he accomplished on behalf of our family was something so incredibly valuable. Um, And I knew at that point in time that I wanted to be a lawyer when I grew up. So I, I, I always say that I knew since I was a pretty little girl that I wanted a young, a young girl that I wanted to be um, a lawyer. Um, And I thought I wanted to be a criminal defense attorney. Um, And that was really 
a big part of my educational path. Like it really cemented for me. Reading isn't just fun. Um, School is serious. It's my path towards getting to a place where I can feel empowered against a system that was so disempowering to us. But one won't be scared of courts and lawyers and cops. I'll actually have some amount of um, agency in that process. Um, And to get there, I'm going to have to study. I'm going to have to do this. Like this, it became a job for me pretty early on. Um, School was like my path to get to that place. So, so that was my starting point, I think, educationally and set my path for me. Wow. That's such a powerful, powerful experience. Um, And one, I I can't imagine what that must have been like for you, for your family. Um, the upheaval that you describe, right? Is you know, you as a as a family, as a unit, you kind of develop these norms and these expectations, and then to have all of that, it sounds like just just taken away. Um, if, you know, through no fault of your own, or your no fault of your father, right? And so, what a powerful, powerful experience. Let me ask you. You know, prior to that, you talked about the meaning behind this this moment and what it did for you to set you sort of educationally forward. Um, prior to that, what was your relationship to school? Were you a good student? You know, was were you as serious about your schooling? And 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 did you have some idea about maybe other things that you wanted to do before deciding? You know what? I, I want to go into law. Yeah. Um. I think I was a bright student and that teach, I got a lot of validation from really good teachers and that made me excited about school. Um, But if you'd have asked me what I wanted to be at 10 years old or nine years old, the answer would have been, well, I want to be a solid gold dancer, which is an old television show. (laughs) I wanted a full gold LeMay outfit and to be (laughs) dancing on TV. (laughs) So, um, So while it was something that I enjoyed, I enjoyed school and I enjoyed my learning environment. And I had parents who really encouraged that, neither of whom went to college themselves um, and who knew that that was a path forward for their daughters. Um, I was the oldest in my family. So there's a lot of expectation too. you know, not more more than once. My parents told me I was the retirement plan, so I needed to figure it out. And um and so I, I always had a sense, um, I enjoyed school, but knowing that it was going to really be my path forward was not until that moment. Yeah. What did your parents do? Um, before he was arrested, and I will say economically, I feel like my family never really recovered from that situation. But before he was arrested, my dad was a salesman. Um, and I think towards the end of his life, and he passed away almost five years ago now, um, went returned to sales um, in a way that made him feel more um um, just made him feel better about what himself, but, um, he was in sales and I don't know, my dad was a great salesman. He could kind of sell anything. <laughs> so he worked at a lot of different places and sold a lot of different things over, over our youth. Um, and my mom worked, um, in the schools. So in the administration offices or in the lunchroom or as a substitute, she was kind of a, a, a jack of all trades at the schools, um, and mostly in elementary and middle school. So as the retirement plan, as you say, <laughs> I mean, they, my mom retired. It was the plan. We, we executed the plan. Um, my dad worked until he became sick. Um, but, but we, yeah, no. And, and interesting. I, I say this a lot, you know, 
we were pretty working class or lower middle, I think, um, outside of the disaster that really, really, you know, caused our our economic situation to tumble. Um, Mostly, I would say working class most all of our lives. And um, I never would have thought that it would be public service or public interest work that would um, create any kind of financial stability for our family, but it has, you know, um, I got to university and, and for the first time in my life, I think started experiencing what critical thought was. I was good at school, you know, in high school, middle and elementary, but in, I didn't learn how to really think. Um, until I got to college. And so I often say that college was my first experience of freedom, not because I was out of my parents' home, though certainly that was that. It was because I was thinking for myself for the first time, critically thinking for myself. Um, and, and, And then went to law school and knew from the moment that I I started becoming more politically conscious that I wanted to do social justice work. And so when I got to law school, it was a given. I was never going to go, you know, make big money at any of the firms. (laughs) I wasn't going to do any kind of, you know, mergers and acquisitions. I was definitely going to do poverty-based legal representation. And and we have made a solid living out of that, you know. Um, my family and I are experiencing a level of nothing close to luxury, but some economic stability for possibly the first time in any of our lives. Um, and that has been um, incredibly rewarding, incredibly rewarding. Um, yeah, so also because I'm the family lawyer, <laughs> That's been really cute too. You know, I come home and people ask me for advice on everything. And I'm like, well, you know, one, I actually haven't practiced law in a few years now. And when I did, it was in New York, so totally different state. And I did mostly family and housing eviction prevention um, and benefits work. So I don't know what to tell you about that accident and whether you can get more money out of it, Theo. <laughs> Um, but it's it's been interesting how that has shifted also my place in the family. You know, people have a all the all the people who have supported me to get to where I am and um and have invested something, whether it was care or a set of luggage to help me out or whatever it was, um, are such a big part of this. And it, that's been really interesting to feel like the shift in my family dynamic in that way. It sounds like the way you describe it, it, you know, like a lot of us, I think, particularly Latinos, if you grew up like working class, right? Um, there's a lot of support. There's a lot of extended support. Every, you know, folks pitching in into, to, to our success, uh, to our journeys. You know, you mentioned earlier, you're the oldest, correct, in your family? That's right. Either one of your parents went to college. So, you know, as a high school student, so I'm going to take a step back to high school. Did you have any help on identifying colleges um, to navigating the process, the application process? Because, I, I mean, it's it's challenging even now with a lot of, I think there are a lot more resources and there's a lot of information that is shared. But I imagine, I know when I was trying to apply, you know, if not, if I didn't have a few people in my life, I don't know how I would have navigated that process. I'm sure I would have found a way. Was there anyone like that to, that helped you through that process? Yeah. Um, the school, the high school counselor 
um, was phenomenal. And she helped me. I think she sat with me and like looked at one application soup to nuts, right? Like, so this is where you're going to write this. She walked me through it. This is what the process would look like. And then she gave me advice on how many I should submit. And I remember feeling just like really crestfallen. And I was like, oh my God, but it costs at the time. I'd have no idea what it is now, like 40 or $50 per application, you know, like I can't apply to college. Um, and um, she's like, no, no, you can apply for waivers. You don't have to pay that. So she helped me plan it all out. Um, and I remember my dad, like, kind of clearing the living room table um, and saying, okay, well, let's put it all out. And I'm right here, whatever you need. <laughs> you know? And they just were kind of on call <laughs> to be supportive. Um, and um, and that counselor did so much to help demystify the application process because I didn't have family who had been through it. Um, no family that was accessible to me anyway. Um, and, uh, and so it was really without her and her name was Martha Stewart. <laughs> um, I remember her so clearly, um, she was, she just would give everything to us and, um, she, yeah, she helped, um, translate, like she was like a cultural translator for me, really, you know, like this is this academic world. Here's the world you're in. This is how we're going to make the bridge between the two. And she walked me through it all. So that person was really pivotal in helping me manage the application process. And then I remember I had another teacher who um, really was invested in me. He just, he, he thought the world of me and, 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 and was so helpful. He, he wrote letters of recommendation, not even because I asked him, like he asked me what schools I was applying to. And um, he wrote to them on his own and <laughs> explained to them how badly they needed me <laughs> in their enrollment, um, which was uh, somebody who just took another big step. Um, so I had some people who really understood the system and pulled for me and explained it to me and advocated for me within it. And yeah, I don't know how to have done it without them. And of course, my parents, while they couldn't inform the process, were wildly supportive every step. So, Wow, I, I'm glad you had those people in, in, in your life. Um, ultimately, where did you decide to go to college? So I ultimately went to Georgetown which was such a big deal. I never, <laughs> I, um, I went to Georgetown and Georgetown is a Catholic school. Um, it's a Jesuit school. I didn't know what a Jesuit was. I didn't, I like growing up in El Paso, I knew Franciscan monks, <laughs> but I didn't know what Jesuits were. <laughs> so I didn't understand that they were priests for a long time. Like I understood that they were part of the Catholic church. It just took me a while to catch up to so many. Georgetown was a culture shock on a lot of levels, but that's the school I ended up at. Go Hoyas. <laughs> What was now? Let me ask you. Your your high school was that a private high school? Was it a no? No, I went to a public high school. I went to Irvin High School, um, and you know, I just had occasion to talk to a couple friends from high school who were in New York um, back in October, and we were talking about how our high school um, started with the freshman class of almost a thousand people, so nine hundred plus students, and we graduated three hundred and eighty. So our attrition was so was, you know, pretty, pretty tremendous. And um, and one of them was in our school newspaper. And she said we had she's like, I don't know if you remember this, but in our freshman year yearbook, which she worked on, we had a page for um, for the losses that we had, like all the all the students that we whose lives were lost that year. 
Um, and I, I didn't remember that, but it, she, I came back at home and looked in the yearbook and she's right. You know, like we were a school that was struggling. A lot of students were super low income, a lot of community violence, a lot of, um, um, a lot of reasons that people drop out. So we were a school that was really struggling through, you know, getting, getting kids out to, to graduate, much less go to college. Well, you, um, go to Georgetown and, Besides not knowing what what it meant to be a Jesuit, um, what what were some of the other challenges that you experienced in that transition? You talked yeah. about the shock. Explain that. Yeah, um, one was was quite literally culture. Um, I had never been around so many people who were not Mexican in my life, right? So I had never been around so many white folks. I had never been around so many people of color who weren't Mexican. It was culture shock on a lot of those levels, um, but, but, and exciting. That was actually some of the best part was learning about other cultures. Um, but a lot of those students had been to private schools um, and were legacy and had, you know, parents and grandparents and great grandparents who had all been to Georgetown. Um, so knew the campus really well, knew, knew the teachers and the administration really well um, and who were just functioning at a different level than I was. Right. Like there, if I was introduced to critical thought my freshman year of university, they had been writing, you know, essays about, um, you know, John Adams for for decades, it felt like, and and were far ahead of me in the amount of information that they had and in the kind of education they got to process that information. So so I felt like I spent the first two years catching up, catching up to people and trying to convince myself that I deserved that place. What advice, you know, I'll often ask my guests to give us advice throughout the interview, right? And um, what you described, right? I, you know, we, you know, wondering whether or not we belong or feeling like, okay, I've got a, I've got a lot of catching up to do. What advice, a lot of students have just finished their first semester of college. What advice would you give somebody who just got back home after leaving, going away to school? And feeling like one, they don't belong or feeling like I'm really behind and I need to catch up. What advice would you give that student? Yeah. I think I wasted, if not the same amount, possibly even more emotional energy, worried about whether I belonged than just doing the work to catch up, right? Like if I'd have just redirected all of that into catching up, it would have been a shorter curve for me. Um, but if you can just accept, like school won't accept you if you don't belong there. You know why? Because they don't want attrition. They want to graduate everybody. They're invested in that. If you didn't belong there, you wouldn't be there. And if you're there, just accept that baseline and work on whatever else it is you need to work on. Um, but I feel like I wasted a lot of time and emotional energy wondering if I did or didn't belong. Um, so that's easier said than done, I know for sure. Um, but just think that's emotional energy that can be going somewhere else. Like, you know, what feels like the catch up. So put it there, put it where it belongs. Um, and, and if you're at home and you've been away for a while, like enjoy all the comforts of home, right? Like let that, my dad used to say, you're like a little plane that flies in and in the hangar, we have to like do all the repairs and get you back up to speed. And then you're going to go out and fly again. <laughs> so get all of that, right? Like get all the care and the repair that you need, like check out for a while, <laughs> like give yourself the break you need and then go back with fresh eyes, fresh brain, fresh legs, 
um, because because every single week I and mean, the, the amount of that you learn and every every day every week is is it feels like it's on a different timeline so every week will matter every lesson will matter um and yeah so i would i would say that i would say take this time to rest and repair and you're going to get right back at it and and absolutely you deserve it you deserve to be there i love that i love that that's wonderful advice thank you um you know you were uh on a path to becoming an attorney. And so, you know, I've, I've got to know, what did you major in? <laughs> English. <laughs> I didn't know. I thought I would go, you know, some sort of pre-law or political science or government path. And I got to school and, and I wanted to just read poetry. <laughs> I, um, I ended up, I ended up majoring in English with a minor in women's studies. Um, so I, uh, I did what I wanted to do in college, knowing that I would ultimately go to law school, um, but had an opportunity to really, to really indulge, um, my intellectual curiosity at university. And I mean, that continued in law school in a way, but in a different way, just around beauty and art, um, which felt wonderful. And no doubt was a big part of why I finished school. If I'd have put myself in a curriculum that I thought would lend itself to law school better or thought was part of a very sort of strict path, I would, I might not have finished, right? I might've just been like, this is awful and I don't like it. It's not who I am. So, so even if you have a really predetermined and for a lot of, in a lot of ways, I feel like I had set my life path at 12, um, even if that feels predetermined for you, if you get there and you're real, realizing that something else is calling to you, then do it. Just do that, right? Do what, do the thing that is calling to you. It'll, it's more likely that you'll succeed in what you love than forcing yourself into something else. Great advice. Great advice. I love that. Um, you know, another, another, uh, piece of advice. What, Because it sounds like you you really made the most of your time there. You talk about your intellectual curiosity and, and, and what advice would you give students? How how would you advise students who don't know what that means? Like making the most of their time at the university and really engaging that intellectual curiosity. How do you set someone up on that path? Yeah. My, I feel I'm mentioning my dad's energy is really in this conversation today, um, which probably says a lot about why I, you know, um, what, what motivated me. Um, but another conversation I recall with him was, he was like, you know, you're going to want to feel the familiar. You're going to look for people who are familiar and that's fine. He's like, but also be around people who challenge you, like find people that are, he's like, hang out with people that are smarter than you. <laughs> you think are smarter than you or who are just smarter than you he's like those are the ones who are going to help you learn better learn more um and that you know if you're feeling a little insecure about your university you're like everybody here is smarter than i am um but i think that in a few weeks few months time and certainly by the end you you kind of get a sense right of who your people are who your tribe is and um so there is some comfort and familiarity in that there's also, some, he was right. You know, the people I engaged who maybe at first felt intimidatingly smart to me uh, were people who, who pushed me and, and were like, um, 
yeah, just really big cheerleaders for me by the end. So hang out with folks who are smarter than you. Um, I will also note that there's so the awareness, it's not just intellectual curiosity, it's also personal epiphany, right? Like I didn't, I didn't know I was queer until I got to college. I didn't identify as queer in high school. My queer friends from high school later were like, you held out on us, girl. You didn't tell us. <laughs> I made us walk that path alone. I was like, no, I didn't know it. Um, and I truly didn't. Um, or rather, it was just so repressed in me that I didn't, I wasn't aware of it. So there's so much personal epiphany too that can be really frightening. I was scared to death. I was scared to death to tell my parents. I did not tell them until I was graduating college. Um but um, there is so much to learn about oneself <laughs> and, of course, also, you know, academia. Um, it can be so overwhelming. Oh, it's it's such a exciting and difficult thing when learning is coming like six ways from Sunday, right? Like it's like you'd like to just feel good at something instead of as a learner all the time. Um, and it's also just one of the most dynamic times in life. And I... I, I I, yeah, I, I, all I can say is that I found other queer folks, other queer folks of color, um, other people who had experiences, something like mine, and we were able to carve out, um, a community there and we're still in, we're still in community. Mm, I love that so much, so much to take away from there. I apologize for my dog that's barking. That's okay. <laughs> I love dogs. <laughs> um, so after, after your time at Georgetown, what was next for you? Yeah, I went straight to law school. So I graduated Georgetown and went straight to law school. I stayed in Washington, D.C. I went to George Washington School of Law there. Felt like D.C. was my home at the time and I wanted to stay. Um, and as great as Georgetown was, I don't think my grades were good enough for Georgetown Law at the time. <laughs> so I went to, but, and, I and I'm lucky to have, you know, gotten um, into George Washington. Um, so I went to law school there. Um, had um, a series of incredible teachers at law school as well, and really spent the whole time wondering if I should be protesting the institution or enrolled in it. It was strange learning how our systems create laws and what those laws are and, you know, what went into it. So it was it was an interesting experience law school was. You know, it's funny you describe that. I feel like you get to college and that intellectual curiosity, right? There are moments where we ask ourselves, should I be protesting my institution or, you know, because it's, it's giving us this, it's sort of opening our eyes and, and it's this space where we get to ask these really critical questions that, that maybe we've sat with or they've, we've kind of had just repressed us that our high schools didn't allow us to ask. And so, yeah, that, that, you know, when you mentioned that, I hadn't thought about that in a long time, but absolutely. I remember, you know, feeling at odds sometimes about being in this space and, and and feeling a little guilty about it, but also feeling like, okay, how do I use this space, cultivate, and to, to do good work? You um, you go to law school, and you know, college, law school. Was there any doubt about, am I on the right path? Should I be doing this? Did that ever enter your mind? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I feel like it might have been most present, well, in law school, for sure, but immediately after law school, 
I was wondering if I hadn't just, I could see an alternative reality, right. Where I had pursued English and literature more, you know, that maybe there was a path in academia, um, that maybe I could go into publishing or editing, you know, um, that there was a different path that would have made me just as happy. And at this point now, and I graduated law school 21 years ago, just over 21 years ago now. So at this point, it feels like almost warm to imagine the different paths that I could have taken that could have made, made me just as happy, but in different ways. You know, um, I feel almost like glad that that is possible because there's so many people that we see and that we know and that we love and that or that we don't love just people that we know or just, you know, that where all of those radiating paths don't feel true, right? Like it doesn't feel that there's that many options or you weren't set up to have a selection of futures. And that is I mean, that is, that is, that is when I feel like we have, when we can't fully actualize ourselves um, and when we only have limited options, that's, that's tragedy. That's the worst. That's when our education system has failed us. That's when people don't, you know, like that's, that's the worst place to be. So I feel at this point now, like that, that was a, that's a lucky and wondrous thing to have had available to me. And yeah, sometimes I really wish I was teaching poetry somewhere. <laughs> it's not too late. <laughs> it's not too late. It's true. I could still do that. <laughs> I feel like I have to start at the beginning again, but yeah. <laughs> Next for you after law school. Um, I So I started after law school, I moved to New York City where I've lived for the last 21 years. And um, and I had a, a fellowship at an Equal Justice Works fellowship to... Um, um, at a nonprofit called the Urban Justice Center's Mental Health Project. And I work with people who were monolingual Spanish speakers and who were mentally ill um, in any of the many legal areas where they needed support and assistance. And I did that for a few years and then moved on to, a num- you know, I've worked at a few different nonprofits now, um, providing representation to indigent people, mostly Spanish speakers, mostly immigrants. And by the end, 100% people who are survivors of domestic and sexual violence. Um, and when you are doing that kind of law, my hat's off to criminal defense attorneys. I ultimately didn't do criminal defense. Um, figured there is probably better places to work out your daddy issues than representing clients. And that felt too high stakes a thing to <laughs> make my own personal story, an extension of my own personal story. Um, but um but did have the experience of feeling like I had lived the limits of the law, right? Like you see what the law is capable of doing um, and what it's not capable of doing. And I think that we we really do think of our systems as being all powerful and they are not. They can provide extraordinary relief and cause incalculable harm that both of these things are true, um, but they are not almighty and they cannot solve the problems the way that with resolutions that you really want all the time and sometimes returning to them creates more harm unintended harms so so after so i stopped practicing law um and went to work for the city of new york for the mayor's office to end domestic and gender-based violence um to work with survivors 
and um, had the opportunity to do that for a few years. And for the last few years, um, loved city service. It was great. Never going to work for government again. Uh, really appreciate those who do, though. I mean, the people who are <laughs> the people who dedicate their lives to government service are very special people. <laughs> I'm grateful to all of them. Um, I did feel those when those folks are doing good work. It's incremental. If they move the needle at small amounts, but they when you move a needle that big at a small amount, it has a huge impact. So I, I was I'm grateful for the work I did for the city and um for the others who are still carrying that torch. Um I now am the executive director at a nonprofit called the Violence Intervention Program. And we're a culturally specific organization working with Latina, Latino, and Latinx survivors of domestic and sexual violence in New York City. We provide shelter, we provide social services, we provide therapeutic services. Um, and it's an incredible community, it's an incredible village of people who are doing great work. Um, many of us are survivors of domestic and or sexual violence. Um, we're 95% Latino and um and it's it's a warm it's it's great work it's great work it feels good to be doing that work now I apologize now one of my other dogs is working <laughs> <laughs> that's great um you why did you leave law to do this work I mean it there's there's it sounds like the work that you've been doing, like there's a consistent thread throughout the work that you've been doing since leaving law school. But why did you, why this position? Yeah. The work, um, the work is so big and the work is so much bigger than any one of us. And when I say the work, I mean the work to improve lives, generally speaking, which is a huge, huge, huge concept. Um, and what we have to contribute to it, um, my contribution to it feels like a, a small thing in the largesse of movement work. Um, and I was just done with that strategy. I was done with dedicating my own efforts to that strategy, to causing social change. I wanted different strategies and I wanted strategies that were focused on healing. Um, the law by definition puts people in an adversarial construct and resolutions are achieved by people sitting at oppositional sides from one another. And the idea, the theory, is that they'll fight it out and the truth will come out, um, which is not my experience of the actual impact of litigation. Um, and and that it, it creates rifts. And I did a lot of family law at the end um, for survivors of domestic violence. And almost always I felt that, you know, cases that had to go to trial inevitably created longer periods of harm and created more opportunities for abuse than cases that could be settled earlier on. Um, so I just felt that, um, yeah, I was, I was done lending my own efforts to that strategy. I wanted different strategies. Um, at the organization I'm at now, um, we don't have legal services. So somebody just wrote me and asked me if I wanted to apply for <laughs> a grant to get legal services. <laughs> For the organization, so it's something for our teams to consider. Um, but we are we're we're approaching the healing from a really different approach, and we're thinking of it in terms of healing instead of a con the which is connected to justice, but doesn't use the legal system as the path to justice. So I think we're really looking at how we create new paths to justice and how we do that outside of systems. And I'm really grateful for for that to be in a place of generative creativity and looking for solutions you know when i started the podcast um 
I work 20 years with first year college students, the majority of them first generation, um, working class, right, Latino students. And they all expect that they're gonna, I I had a student one year, I remember, he was an education major and was gonna be a teacher and he said, Dr. Saldivar, I'm gonna be a teacher and that's it. And almost like there was this overwhelming expectation and I felt it and heard it in all of my students that they would find a career or they would find work after graduating and that was it. And so I thought, okay, I'm gonna collect these stories because I know that's not how life works, (laughs) right? And so I, I appreciate you walking us through talking about the work that you've done as an attorney um all sort of grounded within social justice within making um the the making things better right for people helping them to improve their lives um and then ultimately finding your way to where you're at now right and and it's you say you've you know 21 years since you've left law school but it it sounds like you're just getting started mm-hmm. um, you know because you sound you continue to sound passionate about the work that you're doing you talk about the work that you're doing almost forward looking and looking forward to what's coming and the work that you will be doing but you know um, and so I appreciate that I appreciate you walking us through that but then also recognizing that um, that it's okay to leave because I think you know a lot of us buy into this narrative that like I'm going to go to school I'm going to go to college and then I'm going to go to law school and then I'm going to be an attorney and that's that's the end goal right and and for you though to find this beautiful strand and this purpose that has sort of guided you through all of this work I think has has been a beautiful story to listen to so I appreciate that Um, let me ask you when you decided to stop practicing law did did anyone criticize that decision mm-hmm. nobody who loved me criticized it because they could see that i um was feeling burnt out in it um and you know yeah no nobody Nobody criticized it. That's so funny. I'd, I'd never thought about it that way. Which the other side of that coin is everybody supported me in it. <laughs> um, I'm very lucky that that was the case. Um, I think that, um, yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just like really sitting with, <laughs> yeah, thank you for highlighting that for me, <laughs> that everybody really supported that switch. Well, and, and, and I think you said the most important thing, right? That, that the most important people, the people who loved you, supporting yeah. that. Decision. I think that's powerful. And I, I think sometimes we we lose sight of that. You, um, based on everything that you've shared, it sounds like you've also been able to create a, a really supportive community away from home. Yeah. It was in Washington, D.C. or in New York. How have you done that? I think it's probably looked different in different ways. 
at university, it felt like we were connected by a similar or by um, like we we could sort of we I think we were connected by the oppressions we experienced. Right. Um, like we felt that it was us against others in a lot of ways. Right. We were fighting similar um oppressive constructs. And so what brought us together was our um, need to feel connected and supported by one another and to, and to be able to fight, right. Um, To be able to fight together. So, so that was what really drew me to my strong chosen family um, in college. Um, That was true in law school as well. And as time has gone on, I think that we've, what connects us is history. I keep my friends. I, I've had friends for decades and decades. Um, and so we've seen each other grow up, right? You finish raising each other, really, when you leave home and you finish growing up somewhere else. You're just, other people are helping you to finish that and you're helping them. So we help finish raising each other. And and as years go by, um, and we're now raising another generation. I am not a parent. I'm a village and a villager in, in her village, and I'm I'm there for them. And they can drop the kids off if they need to every now and again. But I'm not raising kids. But but the village is raising the kids. So um so very much feel like we are now um shifting our support for one another to support for that next generation. And um it's so amazing. It's so amazing the way parenting has shifted from the way I was parented, from the way my parents were parented. And it's so wonderful to hear things that you think are precocious, but are actually just the way kids are raised now, right? <laughs> like um one of my friends was sharing that her daughter, she's trying to get her daughter to take a bath, and she was like, My body, my choice, seven years old. <laughs> so I thought that was fantastic. <laughs> and how are you gonna negotiate that, right? Like um anyway (laughs) um yeah I think that we I've stayed connected with people for a really long time and it was because I found people who have similar values and belief systems and that doesn't mean faith systems I have people lots of different faith systems in my community but um but that we care about the same things which are people (laughs) and that we're and and that we're people who believe in being accountable to one another um and that that's that's how that's how I chose my family. That's beautiful. And 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 I asked because I think, you know, for a lot of our for a lot of our students, you know, they leave and, and um one, there you know, there are a number that are reluctant to leave home because of that, because they, they how do I build another community? How I how do I build something that uh, or, or why do I have to replace some something that has been so incredible in supporting me? Um, but you know, I, I think it is important that you're able to build that community that that supports, right? That that you're kind of speaking the same language in terms of you're in this space and you can talk about the same things. And um, you know, I, I share that because I I remember how this was. 10, 15 years ago, I, I was having lunch with with an, an, a, a Stanford alum, and he was a local doctor, and, and he'd reached out to me and wanted to do lunch. And he, he was probably, he was not there when I was there, maybe five or six years older than me. And But he talked about, he said, Jose, I miss the space, the spaces where we have had these great conversations. 
in that community. And he said, and I don't, I don't have that anymore. Um, and so, yeah, community is so big. I love that you talked about values and, and beliefs um, and, and, and different faiths. And, but these, how important it is to create these spaces and these communities mm-hmm. for ourselves um, for that support. Um, so thank you. Thank you for, for touching, touching on that. No, um, thank you. You know, I want to be mindful of your time. Uh, you know, you're on vacation, I think, right? You're on vacation, Great. <laughs> no. Okay. My lunch break. I'm just working remotely while I'm here. Okay. So. okay. Um, well, I, I do want to be mindful of your time. And so, you know, as we transition out, what final piece of advice would you like to leave for our listeners out there? That's a big one. You know, I'm not entirely sure how to answer that question, but what you just shared about the doctor who reached out to you and said, don't have the space for those conversations. Um, you know, it's so true. I think how there's some sort of segmentation that happens and like one of the wonders of being at school is the exposure you have to people you would never choose to be with some of them and some people that you there's just so many of them you can't choose to be with all of them you know to become close to all of them but but there's something fantastic in the exchange of ideas and that is something that we don't have as much I think culturally in in the United States now everything is so um um binary and you know the sides have entrenched and so we don't have the same kind of um relationships that would give us opportunity to challenge our ideas um or to ask us if our values are where they need to be right now um and and like my dad said, like having having made friends with all the really smart kids has given me an opportunity to build community with people who continue to grow. And none of us, I mean, we're old and it's our not set in our ways and we're all wildly curious um, and find new things to be curious about. Um, and so looking for people who have shared curiosity is just as important as looking for people who agree with you, right? Who have shared values Um, and shared curiosity can give us an opportunity to think of things that even people with shared values don't always give us the opportunity to think through. So, um, so I would say then now that I've talked myself through that (laughs) thought process, the piece of advice that I would offer here um, is to seek out new curiosities um, and to keep that curiosity burning. It's hard. It's hard when you are, when it might feel burdened by stress and decisions and adversity to stay curious. But that is absolutely the thing that I think creates joy and and sustaining joy alongside all of the grown-up grief and management that you have to do for yourself and for others that's that's where it's at keeping that joy which i think really comes from curiosity i don't know that i answered your question but that's what i've got that's beautiful no i i i love that i love that thank you thank you so much margarita thank you for your time 
today. Thank you for sharing your story. It's a beautiful story. And thank you for the work that you do. Um, because we all know how important that work is. And, and so I, I, continue, um, I wish you the best in that work. Um, and and just, and just thank you. Thank you for everything. Thank you so much for the space, for the great conversations you have with people. This is really lovely. Thank you for it. Oh, thank you. This concludes another episode of the Way to College podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to my guest. Um, you know, share the podcast, share the podcast with one other person. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, follow all of that, that stuff that we're sort of used to now. <laughs> and uh, have, a, have a great day. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye.